You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. That'd be a pretty cool soundtrack if you're going around throughout your day and uh, I can't sing it, so I don't want to mess up your deal, but everywhere I go, yeah, amen. <clears throat> One time the sound guys didn't turn my mic off and it, I was singing in their inner ears and that was that really bad Sunday worship, y'all remember, but no. Hey, we continue our series on Reboot and today I'm going to talk about a subject that's uh, not touched on a whole lot and so um, I'm going to share a story with you that happened to me and uh, I don't want to scare you, but it's a little different uh, story. But I want to, reason I'm sharing it is so that you can get a grasp of what Jesus is talking about um, in Matthew chapter 6 as we look at verse uh, 13 in particular. But um, I went to a small Baptist college, Christian college in the middle of central Texas. And uh, one of the things that I learned there and I continually tell people that kids that are going off to college is if you choose a Christian college because you think it's going to be a great Christian environment, um, it, it can and it can't be. Okay, and so part of it's what you choose, but um, many times um, kids that go off to college have really done a good job of masking and uh, pretending and living in different ways, and so um, you, you make it what you want. And so, <clears throat> say that I was at this Christian college, and I had really cool roommate. His name was Abram, and so I was always praying for him to get saved so I could change his name to Abraham. But no, I'm just kidding. And uh, Abram, who's a great dude, we had a great time. He's actually still there. He still works there. I think he graduated. But uh, he still works there. And uh, a couple other guys, a guy named Ernest and a guy named Randy. And uh, we weren't sweet mates, but our rooms were connected and we talked and did stuff. And um, they had this alarm clock that was obnoxiously loud that like the whole wing could hear this one guy's deal. And um, one of the interesting things about this school and the dorm rooms is actually the hinges were on the outside. So you could pop the little things off. And so there were a couple of times where I, my roommate and I popped the deals off because they could, they would literally sleep through this alarm. And, um, sleep is a spiritual thing for me. And so if they weren't going to get up at six, the Lord, I just went. So there were several times that I went in there and turned their alarm off and they missed classes and uh, they learned. Um, but one time they really angered me. <laughs> it's the best way to say it. And um, in this anger, they didn't know the darkness and evil in my heart. And uh, so one weekend, both of them were gone, and my roommate and I were still in town. And it was like a longer weekend for some reason. I don't know. And um, so anyway, so while they were gone, because they'd angered me so much, and the evil within my heart said, hey, a great way to get back at them is to remove everything from their dorm room. And so that when they came in, whenever they came in, it would look like their mama and daddies were moving them in. You know what I mean? Like that was going to be bare. <clears throat> and so I did. I popped that baby off and proceeded to remove everything from their room and began to give it to guys all over the dorm. And if somebody wouldn't take it, I would put it in the shower, near the toilet, whatever. And they came in and there was nothing of theirs in the dorm room. And... um <clears throat> They figured out who it was. They got most of their stuff back pretty quickly. There's a few things that may still be hidden somewhere in an attic or whatever. But um, And so I was like, 
they learn quickly, do not mess with the evil of Chris's heart. He may be going into ministry, but there's still some untapped resources in there if necessary. And um, I tell you that just because we were, we were friends. We would joke around like that all the time. And, um, but there was one weekend where I was, I was alone in my dorm room. My roommate had gone off or whatever. And these other two guys were there. And they had gone to some like Christian mingle event. They were single. I wasn't single, so I didn't mingle anymore. And so, because um, that would have been trouble. And so they went to this Christian single mingle thing or whatever, and it's one of those uh, churches was putting on, and they'd met several different people. And so there was a little, like, after mingle thing in their dorm room afterwards. And um, at some point, there was just, like, three or four of them left, and um, they began to just talk about life. And it was just guys at that point, I think, just talking about life and what was going on. And um, somehow another faith came up as a part of that, and it just makes sense. And um, at some point... One of the guys, his countenance changed that was in that group. And um, now, mind you, while that's happening over there, like, I was not mingling. My girlfriend was off at another school, and um, I was, my roommate was gone, so I went to bed, whatever. And so I'm in that state of, you know, where you're about to go to sleep, but you're still conscious, you know what I mean? And... Um, all of a sudden, in the midst of that state, my eyes are closed, I'm about to fall asleep, my room to me, becomes extraordinarily bright, okay, like just overwhelmingly bright. But then the next thing I notice is that for whatever reason, again, I'm in that conscious of almost sleep, my heart and mind's eye turn toward my door where the hinges can pop off. It also had a vent in it. And in that vent, something just kind of came to that vent like a mist, and it was a dark mist, and that came through that vent and then began to just this darkness overwhelmed the light, just began to just circle my room. Okay. And again, I'm here. So in that moment, like I'm frozen and don't know necessarily what to do and how to respond. And I remember one of my mentors saying to me, if you're ever in a situation where you're just kind of like, you don't know, like you understand this is outside of you and you've never understood or been a part of something like this, just begin to pray and begin to pray the blood of Christ. And so that's what I did. I just began to pray the blood of Christ, that he had the power, the blood of Christ has the power over this situation, again, not understanding and grasping. And I don't know how long it was, how long this, this situation occurred. It could have been a second. It could have been a long time in my deal. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, it's gone. And in the midst of that, of the leaving, the brightness showed up, and there was an opportunity in my soul and in my spirit that I just rested, and there was this peace. And it was an interesting thing, and so obviously I register that in my brain and my heart of something weird just happened. <clears throat> and so the next day I went over, I'm up and I'm at breakfast and we're talking, I'm talking to my, the guys that live next door. I was like, man, and they were talking about their deal and all this other stuff. And I was like, man, I got to tell you what happened. Like this weird thing. And they're like, whoa, what about what time did, what time did you go to bed? And I told them about what time and they're like, whoa. And they told me what was happening in their room is this guys, they began to talk about faith. It ended up being the two roommates and this one guy are talking more and more about faith in Christ. And at some point, his, when I say his countenance changed, it's like one of those things that maybe you'd seen in a movie. And so they just kind of were freaked out. And so they began to pray over him. And his countenance changed several times in the midst of that. One that in that was that was happening while that stuff was happening to me. I've had several other instances, not quite like that. I've been some different ways of praying over some different things. And, 
and, and I tell you that not to scare you, but to let you understand is that there is a spiritual realm that's outside of us that God is allows to happen that impacts us. And understand that in the spiritual realm is re- spiritual realm is real, but he that is greater but he that is in you is greater than he who is in the world, okay? Now, from what I understand from scripture is that if you've said yes to Jesus, that whenever you say yes to Jesus, this Holy Spirit takes residence with inside of you and you become a holy temple. And so God, therefore, is residing with inside of you. And therefore, since you are holy and the Holy Spirit has taken residence with inside of you, evil cannot overcome you. Okay, It cannot also take residence. God, God, as holiness, would not allow evil and darkness to take residence with inside the same place. However, you can still be influenced by, right? And so the spiritual realm is real, and even as Paul talks about it, we don't pray against flesh and blood. We pray against spiritual things, the principalities, and all of that. And so prayer, as we're about to talk about, is something that allows us to thrive in the midst of the spiritual warfare that's going on. And that Jesus teaches us to pray for deliverance, not for dominance. That our role isn't to dominate, our role is to seek and to pursue deliverance from that evil, that the reality of that evil. And so what does it look like for us to pray in that way? And over the last few weeks, as we've talked about, we've discussed to We've been directed to pray for our past, to ask for forgiveness. We've been taught to pray for our today, for our bread, our present. And then also today we're going to be thinking about praying for our future, the temptation and the evil that we deal with. And so if you have your Bibles, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9, in particular verse 13. And I remind you that this passage, it says, starts like pray like this. And the reason it says that is because the disciples have been hanging out with Jesus and recognize the fact that Jesus, when he prays, things happen and things are different. And so they've come to him and said, hey, Jesus, we want to pray like you. We've seen our rabbis, we've seen other people pray and all that, but your prayers are effective. Your prayers are intimate. Your prayers are, and, and things happen whenever you pray. Blind people see, lepers don't have leprosy, all that kind of stuff. Five loaves become feeding you know, 10, 15,000 people. And so they want to pray like this. And so here's what Jesus tells them. Pray like this then, if you want to have effective, intimate prayers. Our Father, who is in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us of our sins, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation but rescue us from the evil one. So the first question I want to ask is, does God tempt us? Does God tempt us? And James, over the last few weeks, we've dealt into this passage a couple of times. In James chapter 1, verses 13 and 15, it says, And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. Why? Because God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. And so if you're tempted, it's not coming from God. Okay, where does it come from? Temptation comes from in here, our own evil desires, which entice us and drag us away. So the temptations that you struggle with come from 
your humanity, your evil, your darkness that still resides with inside of you. And that's the tension and the struggle that we live in as followers of Christ is once you said yes to Jesus, now the Holy Spirit resides with inside of you. So there's holiness there, but there's also the humanity of our evilness. And so the tension that we live in of I don't want to yield to temptation. I want to do holy things. And as Paul talks about it, when the more I want to do holy things, the more I do not holy things. And that's the, the polar tension that we live in. But these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Again, let's admit that there are ugly babies. And those ugly babies, not in humanity, but the ugly babies that we give birth to are our sin. All right. So does God tempt us? No, he doesn't tempt us. It's the evil that resides with inside of us. But he does allow temptation to happen, which is interesting. You see in Job that... Satan comes to God and says, hey, this guy Job that you applaud and think people think great things of, the reason that people think great things of is because you've never allowed him to be tempted. You've protected him. And God said, no, that's not true. I'll allow you to tempt him. And so even in the midst of losing many things, if not everything, Job continued to give praise to God in the midst of that. And so God does allow temptation in our life. And we even see that Jesus was led into the wilderness after 40 days of fasting he was led into the wilderness and at the end of that 40 days he was tempted by satan himself and the way three ways that he was tempted was with power money and physical need getting net with bread and so even if maybe some of you have grown up and you've practiced lent and that's the reason that you've the spiritual practice of lent comes from this of 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter is 40 days. And so during that 40 days, you give up some things. You fast to prepare your heart and soul for Easter. And so it's a great practice. It's not a biblical mandate, but it's a a good spiritual practice to prepare our hearts. So does God tempt us? No. But it says to lead us not into temptation, to yield. And so, you know, if you're driving and you're going along a road and there's a yield sign that comes up, the reason that you're yielding, why, is because there's another vehicle that could potentially come. And so as you come out of that yield sign, you're taught, slow down like a yellow light, slow down, be cautious, and look around you for anything that might be able to hit you or blow you over. And here's what the Scripture is teaching us is to not yield to temptation. Here's why. Because now that you have said yes to Jesus, you have the right of way in pursuit of God. And so what it's saying to us is do not yield to something that doesn't have the right of way anymore in your pursuit of God. But there's times that we still do that. We forget the fact that we have the power of God that it resides with inside of us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead resides with inside of you and gives you the power to say no to things and to not yield to temptation to the things that you used to yield to. You see that? And so now you have the right of way unless to do the right thing unless you stop and pause and allow it to take control over you. And sometimes we do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the temptations that are in your life are no different from what others experience. This is why we need to understand that following Jesus in Christianity is not a lone ranger individual project. It is to be done and to be lived in community. Because when we do life in community, we're sitting around together talking about life, talking about scripture. All of a sudden, somebody begins to share their story and you're like, dad gum, your story is a lot like my story. And all of a sudden we begin to realize that, hey, 
I'm messy. My feet are messy. They're, and, and all of a sudden we're like, we're on a journey together. And that's encouragement comes from that. And strength comes from that. And the ability to stand together, to walk. And so that when temptation comes, you know that others that have walked through the same things have not yielded and pursued Christ and haven't stopped that sin and kept moving. And therefore it encourages you that it can be done. Again, not in your own power, but in the power of Christ and in the power of community of people in pursuit of Christ. So many of us, whenever we struggle with sin, all of a sudden Satan talks to us and we hear him and he says, oh, no one else deals with that. That makes you extra dirty. That makes you extra unclean. There's, oh, no, don't go to church. Nobody can know about that. If somebody knows that, what are they going to think about you? Especially more and more in a world where we filter ourselves and take thousands of pictures to make sure that we project the right image. Satan's like, man, I love that. I love that. And we try to do the same thing with our spiritual life and life. And when God's saying, listen, I want you to be unfiltered. That when you become unfiltered is when you find freedom. But when you keep trying to hide and keep putting filter over filter over filter, you actually are burdening yourself with stuff that you cannot deal with and get over you have to be vulnerable and transparent because god is faithful in the midst of your temptations god is faithful and he will not allow a temptation to be more than you can stand okay he's there with you he's allowed it so he knows what you can stand not in your own strength but he's watched you over time trust that you can withstand and you can not yield to temptation because you've seen over and over and over again that God is faithful and provides for you. And so it's based upon how we've kind of grown and said yes. The scripture teaches us that once before, whenever we were, were before we were in Christ, we, we couldn't yield to temptation. But now that we're in Christ, we have the power to not yield to temptation. And part of that is, as Galatians tells us, we get into the habit of saying yes to the things of God and no to the things that are not of God. And so as we say yes to healthy things over and over and over again, there's going to be things where God is chiseling away and he will put things before us that will allow us to understand and even see, hey, we are making progress on this journey of not yielding to the things that are not of God anymore. And that for us to be able to say yes to the things of God. Our ability to resist temptation is not based upon our own strength, but upon our fear-spilled life. In Christ. And all of us, all of us are messy. As we talked about last week, all of us have dirty feet. You got stinky feet, right? And that your stinky feet means that you have to draw near to Christ so that He can clean them. And as He cleans them, as He looks at your feet and cleans them, He sees the calluses. He sees the different things that are going on. He sees the dirt and He can say, hey, you've walked in this place and you've walked in this space. But the only way that Jesus can clean your feet is if you pull up close and let Him wash them. And that's in community. But so many times we believe the lie that we're unclean or too unclean and we push away from the table where God wants to sup with us and dine with us. Because we don't want our feet to be washed. Because let's be honest, every day we struggle with temptation in a way that would embarrass us and embarrass God. And if we admit the fact that we're susceptible to yielding to temptation. That's the first thing is realize, hey, I'm human. I'm not perfect. I have not arrived. This is a journey. Matter of fact, there's a pastor, well-known pastor, that he's almost 90 years old now by the name of Gordon McDonald. And Gordon was very well-known a few years ago. And um, 
one of his friends asked him, if Satan was to blow you out of the water, how would he do it? And he said, I don't know, but I can tell you the one way that he wouldn't do it. And that is that I would not have an inappropriate relationship. Within the year, Satan blew up his world. And here's what he said. A chain of seemingly innocent choices became destructive. And it was my fault. Somewhere along the way, he bought into the lie that he was not susceptible to the way that Satan attacks all of us. Power, money, and sex. And again, he didn't have accountability around him. He didn't have community around him to check in and to see. Because you could see those choices along the way. People have been doing life with them. They would see changes. But he didn't invite people into that. So temptation, to not yield to it. But then the second part of that verse talks about the evil one. Well, who is the evil one? It's Satan, which literally means accuser. Someone who brings hostile, false accusations against you and and puts them before the court. They're lies. They're half-truths. He's the devil. That's what he does. He brings slandering things against you. He's also known as Lucifer, which is an angel of light. He's a tempter. He's a deceiver. He's your adversary. He's the prince of darkness. He's a fallen angel. So what that means is he's a created being who wanted at some point to sit in the seat of God. And because of that, he had a third of the angels, the scripture tells us, followed him and he rebelled against God. And so God sent him out of his presence. So since Satan, the deceiver, the adversary, is a fallen angel and a created being, here's what that means. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowledgeable. He is not in all places at all times. Now see, he has told us that somewhere along the way. Most of us in this room believe that Satan can be in all places at all times by, with himself, and he cannot, he's created and he's limited. The only one that is unlimited is Yahweh. He can be at all places at all times. He's transcendent, he's over all things, but also he is, through the miracle of the Holy Spirit, takes residence with inside of you. So whenever we say, the devil made me do it, he probably didn't. It's that stuff inside of you. You made you do it because you yielded the right of way. And thought this time would be different. And let's be honest. Satan the deceiver, he's after guys like Gordon McDonald. He's after guys like Franklin Graham and others that proclaim the name of Christ and are visible because the ripple effect of their faith falling, the bolder ripple effect, is powerful. Now listen, he's after you. He's in pursuit of you. But it's a little different. So whether you believe in Jesus or believe in the devil or not doesn't matter because Jesus does. He called him a murderer. He called him a destroyer. He called him a liar. Jesus believed that Satan was alive and active and after you. And even his agenda is bad. Make you think that bad is good, that wrong is right, that harm is healthy. And that choosing sin is the best choice. He wants to keep us from God's truth. In Christ, he wants to keep us out of community. But here's what 1 Peter 5 tells us. Stay alert. Some of you have these newfangled cars where you're driving and you lose your alertness, apparently. And uh, I don't know how I would know that, but 
And as you're driving, all of a sudden it comes on and it says, stay alert. And a little coffee sign comes up and you see it. And what's it telling you? Like you've lost focus. You're on the path and you've kind of veered a little bit. And this is what this passage is saying is stay alert spiritually. Be attentive to the fact that you're veering off path, that you hear the, the, the different things that are there on the path to stop. And the car's telling you why, because your an- enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking to devour you. When you're not in community, you're easy. When you're not accountable, you're easy. When you're in community and you're accountable, it's a lot more difficult to be devoured because you're alert, you're talking, and somebody's got your back. When you're in community, you're in a circle looking out and for the opportunities. You're caring for one another so that you can stand firm against the lion and stand strong in your faith. Because in Romans 8, 1 and 2, we understand that there's no condemnation for those who belong in Christ. So if you've said yes to Jesus in the courtroom of God, it's ju- you've been justified. There is no condemnation. It's just as if I'd never sinned. But somewhere along the way, we've bought into in these half-truths, these half-lies that Satan tells us, we hear we are still condemned. You're not dirt clean enough. You're not, you can't, no way that you can bring those stinky feet before God and let him wash them and clean them to sup at the table of God. But because you belong to him, You've been freed from the power of sin that leads to death through the Spirit of God. Again, the habit of saying yes over and over and over again. And to understand that the same power, think about this, the same power that raised Christ from the dead resides with inside of you and that you have the power to not yield the temptation. But so many times we toy with it and think, not this time. And we tell ourselves half-truths and think, this time is going to be different. I'm going to, I'm going to yield this time. It's going to be different. And it's the same thing over and over and over. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 says, In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, You, we have a tendency to not fight the fight and we give up too easy because we think we have to do it within our own strength, within our own willpower, within our own wisdom. When in reality, we get to do it in community with other people that are like-minded and have the same spirit to overcome temptation. This is not a lone ranger sport. That temptation is going to come. That on this side of heaven, as you do life, as you're walking the streets of life, the dust of sin and stuff is going to come up onto your feet and you're going to, it's just a part of life. But that every day as we confess our sins, we bring our feet before God, we sit close to Him as we can possibly get to Him so that He can clean and wash our feet. And that as He cleans and washes our feet, remember in the old days of Jesus' time, you would lay on your side and put your feet out and they didn't want your stinky feet next to their plate. 
And so to sup at the table of God, you've got to draw near and let him clean your feet so that you can sit down with him and sup with him. Not just for a little bit, for a long time. In the old days, it was a long experience, multiple courses to sit and to hang with God. And to do that means that you've got to make yourself vulnerable for him and let him see your feet. And yeah, it takes some pride. It takes an ability to be able to do that because nowadays, see, we put our feet under the table. So some of this is lost on us. But God wants us to draw near and to put our feet before him so he can wash and clean so that we can not yield to temptation and avoid the evil one. But here's the beautiful thing. As we know, if you've read the little passages right before the maps at the end of the Bible, we win. In Christ, we win. Ultimately, for the battle is the Lord, not ours. However, tomorrow, you're going to get up, and he's prowling, and he's looking for you. Because until that time, the battle is on. Fight evil. Do not yield to temptation. So my challenge for you this week is pray. Pray as if your life depends on it. Pray as if an enemy is looking to devour you and you need to stay alert. Pray in such that between every breath that you're attentive to him. Because this, this is the beauty of prayer. Prayer is the pursuit of Jesus. I know sometimes we think it's like, hey, God, I'm putting all my petitions before you. And that is part of it. But most ultimately, the the best part of it is that we pursue Jesus. And the more we spend time with him, the more we long to spend time with him. The more we long to spend time with him, the less we want to yield to temptation. That's the whole point. It's to sit down and to sup with him. So that when the unhealthy stuff comes, we can recognize it and not yield to it. You are that valuable that he's given us an hour. Let's pray together. Father, we admit that we are 100% human and we make mistakes. We may have made one today before we got in here. So, Father, we confess that to you and give that to you and know that you forgive us. We put our feet before your wash basin and say, please wash our feet. My opportunity to sit at the table and to dine with you is more important than the stuff of life that I've brought in here on my feet. And I want to dine and I want to have a 12-course meal with you, Jesus. Not a happy meal in a hurry. So, Father, may we not be satisfied with happy meals in a hurry, but to to sup at your table, which means my feet need to be clean. Father, may we do that this week. May we just sit before you and let you clean our feet as we confess who we are and acknowledge that you love us and care for us in spite of all of that. That you've known it and you still gave your life for us. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Crosspoint Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Crosspoint Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.